Hi. Hi. It's just a fireball. I'm tired. <laughs> I mean, so is I, but it's raining. I'm tired. Rainy days always make me tired, but I love. And I'm on so a much. a short fuse recently, just because of stuff. Life things. Yeah, school, getting stuff done, deadlines coming up, and oh, I'm tired. So, I oddly feel as though I need to go first. You did because, because last time yeah you did not go first. I That's did. why no you didn't because I went first because you had Gary Ridgeway. Oh well, I was originally going. Yes, to go I know. First. That's why I feel like I need to go first, but I know that you should go first. Yes. Ranger, stop whining. You're gonna come back through this, and it's just gonna be Ranger. Yeah, that's okay. I guess. He's he's the unseen mascot for now. Yeah, no, he he's the mascot for sure's. For sure's. For sure's. Along with the bumblebee. The bumblebee, or as I first read it, the butthole bee. No, it's just a bumblebee. The bumblebee was hilarious. Sad day, guys. You guys still haven't emailed us. I just uh, checked. What? <laughs> I always do that because I don't ever check it yet because I have yet for my phone to tell me someone has emailed me on that one, so. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, if you would like emails, where can they find you? Hmm? You can find me at justifiablefantalks at gmail.com. The J is capitalized. Yes, yes. I feel like this is now just my part. I, I have to say that the J is capitalized because you never say it. <laughs> yeah. That's my problem. Maybe that's why you guys can't email or haven't been. Okay, do yours. What's yours? What's yours? Huh? Mine? Huh? Mine? I thought you were going first. You're going... I went first last time. Oh. We just discussed this. Oh, I thought you were going to go first, but I'll go first. No. (laughs) I mean, like, I can, but I already told you. I was, like, waiting for you. Otherwise, I would have just gone. (laughs) Nee. So, I have the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Can I see how that's spelled? Okay, so it's like Texan it's Arkansas? It's like Texas, Arkansas, put together. Texarkana. Oh, okay. Don't, don't you think it's Texarkana? No, there's... Okay. Arcana. I thought there was an S, so I was going to say Texarkansas. No. Arcanus? Arca- I don't know. Go ahead. Arcanus. There's not even an Arcanus. S. I don't know why I'm talking about this. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> so, the Texarka... <laughs> Fucking, I hate you so much. The Texas Arcana. No. I mean, it's the what Texas I do. The Texas Arcana Moonlight Murders. Uh, it's a toy. <laughs> it's not a toy. They're it's a toy. In... I hate myself so much right now. Is it a toy box killer, though? No. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. Only because I don't I don't remember the specifics, but I remember it was like pencil fingers and... Toy, toy box killer and pencil fingers. That was our first episode. I can't that believe is. you remember that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. After that, I think you did John Wayne Gacy. Did yeah, I? Yeah. I don't know. I know you did John Wayne Gacy. Yes, I, I did. For sure. I just don't know if that's the second episode or not. Don't know. Yeah. So these murders uh, were a series of unsolved murders and other violent crimes committed in and around Arcana. Oh, so Arcana is a place, not like a combined area an actual place sorry guys we're stupid don't yell at us <laughs> if you're from texas don't yell at us sorry or arkansas or arkansas or wh- you call wherever it. it is yeah sex arcana um so in the spring of 1946 by an un- unidentified serial killer known as the phantom killer or phantom slayer 
So they're credited with attacking eight people within ten weeks. I wonder if their name is Buffy. Don't make a Vampire Slayer reference. I see what you're doing. (laughs) I wonder if their name's Buffy. I do what I want. (laughs) I see that. So five out of eight people were killed. The other three survived. The attacks happened on weekends between February 22nd of 1946 and May 3rd of 1946. So that's... That's like three, four months altogether. For I love that that took all of that time <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't think of it straight away. Leave me alone. I just don't get why it matters. I just wanted that I have, bit of information. I have to tell you guys how many months it was between. I know you guys can well, do the mental math, but I need to tell you. You too. <laughs> so the first two victims, Jimmy Hollis and Nico... <gasps> My brother? Jimmy? Yeah, he did. He done uh, dead. He done died. I saw him just last month, though. Sucks. In 1946 of May, he died. <laughs> was I visiting his ghost or his corpse? Like, what? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, well, his corpse is a girlfriend, and that's weird. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Jimmy Hollis and Mary Larry. Poor girl. <laughs> I was I was going to make a comment, but I thought you'd get mad, so I didn't. What were you going to say? I was basically going to say the same thing no, you did. No, poor girl. <laughs> so they survived. The first double murder, which involved Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. Who named their kid Polly? Never mind. Happened four weeks later. The second double homicide involving Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. That's all Betty Jo Hooker. <laughs> occurred exactly three weeks from the first murders. Touch me. <laughs> <laughs> My dog nosed up her arm. <sighs> the Texas Rangers came in to investigate. You know what I just realized? Mm. I feel like if we didn't have the dog, all you hear is, don't touch me. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, no, I, that's why I feel the need to explain Why's it. Because otherwise, dog? it's like, am I doing something to you? No. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, guys. Off track. So the Texas Rangers came in to investigate, including the famous M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Uh, finally, almost exactly three weeks later, Virgil Starks was killed and his wife Katie was severely wounded. So those are all eight people. And that's, that sounds like the, it kind of reminds me of the uh, axe murderer of New Orleans. I know that one. Because it was like. Didn't, he went after a lot of people, but didn't kill very many. Because mm-hmm. isn't it the axe murderer? He put a thing in the newspaper saying, at this time, this night, if you're not playing jazz, yeah, I'm yeah. coming and kill you with an axe. Yes. Yee, I remember that. I wasn't alive back then, but I remember that one. So, the murder sent the town of Arcana... <laughs> fucking, I give up. Sent the town into a state of panic <laughs> throughout the summer. At dusk, city inha- inhabitants heavily armed themselves and locked themselves indoors while police patrolled streets and neighborhoods. Although many businesses lost customers at night, stores stop eating your fluff. Stores <laughs> sold out of guns, ammunition, locks, and many other protective devices. Rumor. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. So she was like waving at Ranger, and he was just like mouthing back, and it was really fucking funny. Can you only see out of the corner of my eye? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to read this in focus, and I can't. You floofy squoo. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. We're super off track today. Okay. Continue. God. Several rumors began to spread, including that the killer was caught or that the third or even fourth <laughs> double homicide had been committed. Most of the town hid in fear inside their houses or hotels. 
Teresa. <laughs> Sometimes even leaving town. Some youths took matter into their own hands by trying to bait the phantom so they could kill him. Real dumb idea, guys. Yeah, pretty much. After three months of no more phantom attacks, the Texas Ranger slowly and quietly left town to keep the phantom from believing he was safe to strike again. Slow down a little bit. Sorry. Every time I slow down, I just fuck up all the words. It, well, if you keep reading so fast, nobody can understand what you're saying. So, the murderers were reportedly... Fucking, see? <laughs> reporters. The reporters the, were reported. The murders, <laughs> the murders were reported nationally and internationally by several publications. <laughs> In 1976, the film The Town That Dreaded Sundown was released internationally and is loosely based on the events. I feel like I've heard of that movie. Same here. Despite its claim that only the names have been changed. Because the movie claimed that the story you are about to see is true, where it happened, and how it happened. The fabricated parts created so much of the myth and folklore around the murders for several decades. A, <sighs> a cold case in Texarkana in 1948 of the disappearance of Virginia Carpenter has been speculated to be the work of the Phantom. Ash okay. Ranger. The prime suspect in the case was Yule Swiney. Or Swinney, or Swinney. How do you say that last name? <laughs> Wait, how do you say that first name? It's U U L L L. Swinney. 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 Oh my god. Skinny. Yule Swiney. Or huh? s- it could be Swinney or Swine. Swiney, Swinney, Swinney. Well, because Swine is S W I N E, so that could be Swiney. Double N's. Yeah. Swinney. I don't know. This person's last name is hard. So, who was linked to the murders by statements from his wife? Well, damn. She gave you up fast. Swinney's wife refused to testify against him, and he was never convicted. She gave him up, but then refused well, to testify. Well, she just made claims against him, and then was like, eh, never mind. My bad. Swinney's wife refused to testify against him, and he was never convicted, but two of the lead investigators in the case believed he to be guilty. In the 2014 book, The Phantom Killer, Unlocking the Mysteries of the Texarkana Serial Murderers by Dr. James Presley. That's not like Mr. Presley. Whatever. Um, also, also points to Swinney as the culprit of all five attacks. Presley believes that there is evidence close enough, enough evidence to close the case. <laughs> so the first attack happened. Feb- I almost said September. <laughs> <laughs> happened September, you know, through from February to through. <laughs> oh God, I can't speak February either now. To May. There's no fucking way it was September or September or whatever. <laughs> Fuck me. February 22nd of 1946. So around 11.45 p.m. on Friday, February 22nd of 1946, Jimmy Hollis, age 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jeanne. Right? Jeanne? Where? Jeanne? Yeah, Jeanne. Jeanne Larry, age 19, parked on a secluded road known as the Lover's Lane after having seen a movie together. What? There was a lover's lane in the uh, Zodiac Killer as yes, well. there was. What? Do you actually remember that? Yes. But you didn't remember we... <sighs> okay. I remember really weird bits. Leave me alone. I was like, I totally thought because you couldn't remember that we did the Zodiac Killer that you wouldn't remember any details. So I was like, are you just lying to save face right now? No. No. <laughs> The area was approximately 50 feet, 15 meters, 
off Richmond Road on the unpaved street about 100 yards from the last row of city homes. Around 10 minutes later, at 11.55, a man wearing a white cloth mask, which resembled a pillowcase with eye holes cut out, appeared to... What does that look? That's a lot like the Zodiac Killer. It really is. But did he kill in Texarkana? No, uh, I'm just like, I find it really interesting because he had a he an executioner-style type, like, his, I think it was a burlap sack, This was though. a burlap sack. This was like a pillowcase. Your dog wants out. He doesn't. He's just whining to whine. Wow, child. But he um, appeared at Hollis' driver's side door and flashed a flashlight in the window. Oh my god! It this really is, like, is exactly he's the almost, same! Uh, he's almost like a double to the... But which one happened first? <laughs> I don't remember when the Zodiac happened. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, unsure if the man was pranking him, Hollis told him that he had the wrong person, to which the man responded, I don't want to kill you, fellows, so do what I say. Both Hollis and Larry were ordered out of the driver's side door. How uncomfortable is that to have to, like, crawl over the console out the driver's side door? Like that? Well, he doesn't want you to be able to make a break for it. Well, yes, but that's still uncomfortable. Okay, hold on real quick. Ranger, shut up! I have to yell at him sometimes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just whining in the corner, <clears throat> and he has, like, no reason to. I mean, you're not wrong. So, they both crawled out, and he ordered Hollis to take off his goddamn britches. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine, you're, you know, you're, you're in lover's lane, like, you're having a nice time with your girlfriend, and this dude comes over with a flashlight, he's and like, he's take like, take off your goddamn britches. Get out of the car. Take off your goddamn britches. And I'd be like, uh, what? First off, it's not even your goddamn pants. It's your goddamn britches. Uh, First off. No. What the fuck? <laughs> that doesn't even, like, I would laugh. Like, I hate myself because I would definitely laugh. Yeah, I'd be like, uh, good one. <laughs> like, That's britches really weird. Like, Excuse me? <laughs> but after he complied, the man struck him in the head twice with a pistol. I've seen this on an episode of, like, Criminal Minds. Yes, Criminal Minds, probably. What? Mm-hmm. He, the the poor man takes his pants off and then you just pistol whip him in the face? What the heck? For all. Twice. Oh. Twice. You got pistol whipped twice. So Larry would later tell investigators that the noise was so loud she had initially thought he'd been shot. When in fact, it had been his skull fracturing. Fracturing? Fracturing. The R is real silent in the beginning for me. Would you stop? Please. He doesn't know how to stop. I realize this. That was totally in between my toes. <laughs> she done violated my toes, guys. God, get out. She stuck her nubbins in between mine. <laughs> <laughs> my nubbins? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you touched a bruise. <laughs> From when we did the escape room, you touched a bruise. Stop having bruises then. I don't know what to tell you. No. <laughs> But it was his skull fracturing. So thinking the assailant wanted to rob them, Larry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove he had no money, after which she was struck with a blunt object, which I guess they don't know what it is. Dog! <laughs> trying to get back in. I just want you to live. <laughs> he was whining to be let out of my room, so I let him out, and then he came back and was like, please let me in. Yes. <laughs> so the assailant ordered her to stand, and when she did, he told her to run. Initially, oh? she tried to flee toward a ditch, but the assailant ordered her to run a different direction up the road. <laughs> oh? You Very run. Demanding. I'm going to punch you in the freaking head, but run anyways. And then when she runs, she's, he's like, no, no, wrong direction. 
the other way. I feel like, fuck that, I'm just running, dude. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Larry spotted an old car parked off the road, but found it empty and was again confronted by the attacker, who asked her why she was running. What? <laughs> when, I know I just told you to run, but why are you running? <laughs> when she responded that he had told her to do so, he called her a liar before knocking her down and sexually assaulting her with the barrel of his gun. Did he tell her to take off her goddamn britches? <laughs> I want that off on a shirt. Just take off your goddamn britches. I don't... Just because I think that's funny, I don't think, like... Yeah, but I feel like if I, if I were a stranger and I, I saw, saw you with that, shirt, I'd be like, why? <laughs> why do you it's want very, that? It's a very demanding shirt. <laughs> well, it's also... Did he not do anything to the dude he told to take... Like, did he just want him to take off his pants for no reason? Or well, did he do something to him? Uh, but... Good thing he was knocked out for it, I guess. Right. So, he sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. So, not even, like, with his dick. He just took oh his gun and was God. like, excuse me, as like, <laughs> violate the vagina. The vagina was violated with a gun. Oh, my God. I'd be so be afraid of- <laughs> That is not the part that matters. What if he shot that gun, huh? I mean, she'd be dead. She'd be dead? <laughs> she'd be dying. But she'd be dead. She doesn't necessarily have to die from that. That doesn't mean she won't die, though. No, but she could live. <laughs> Anyways, really just go. <laughs> That'd be real. I'd be real scared of guns after that, though. Or just people. But that's not the point. So after the assault, she fled on foot, running a half mile to a nearby house. A car passed by the residence, which she attempted to call for, but was ignored. She was able to awaken the residents of the house and phone police. Meanwhile, Hollis had regained consciousness and managed to flag down a passerby on Richmond Road. Did he pull his pants back up? I would hope so. What was that noise, by the way? It was your dog. Oh. <laughs> the motorist left Hollis at the scene and drove to a nearby funeral home where he was able to call police. I'm just gonna leave you here, dude. I hope you'll be okay. I'll come back, I swear. Within 30 minutes, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. quote-unquote Bill Presley and three other officers arrived at the scene on the attack, but the assailant had already left. They found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from the parked car. So the answer is no. <laughs> also, the fact that... Who stops for a man that's running in the with her pants off? It's oh probably why God. he said take your fucking pants off. As well as... His pants were only 100 yards he from the car. He could have put on. Like, he definitely could have at least grabbed his pants. <laughs> like, the point is, you should have had pants. <laughs> Whether they were in your arms or on your body, you should have had pants. Oh, my God. Like, oh my I would God. not stop for someone without pants. <laughs> like, unless you severely... I would stop, lock the car, and roll the window down just a little bit. <laughs> I don't even know if I would... I would be like, crack it. Just enough so they can hear my voice and be like, why you have no pants? <laughs> Where are your pants at, boy? Why are they, where are they at? So, Larry was hospitalized overnight for minor head wounds, while Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures, but they both survived. Hollis and Larry gave conf- conflicting <coughs> reports to law enforcement as to what their attacker looked like. Larry claimed the man was wearing a white bag over his head with cutouts for the eyes and mouth, and that she could see under the mask that he was apparently African-American. Hollis alternately, alternative, alternately, I said it right, Claimed the man was white and around 30 years old, but conceded he could not distinguish his features as he had been blinded with a flashlight. Both agreed that the assailant was around 6'1", or, yeah, 6 feet tall, not 6'1". Law enforcement repeatedly challenged Larry's account and believed that she and Hollis knew the identity of their attacker and were covering for him. 
What? Why? Why? Why would you do that? If, if I was assaulted were, with, a gun, with a, a gun and the other dude was forced to take his pants, pants off, off why, why would you, you cover? Like, imagine seeing him in a Walmart. Even if you were my best friend, I'd be, that fucker did it. Like, he made me take my pants off and I was not okay. You could be, like, related to me and you're dead to me after that. I don't give a shit. If you tell me to take my pants off and then threaten my girlfriend with a gun and then assault her with it, like, I'm not okay. <laughs> not okay with that. So, the first double murder was on March 24th of 1946. This was not, like, 20 years later. So, this was only a few, like, a month later. So, what? Okay. Richard L. Griffin, age 29, and his girlfriends of six weeks. Polly Ann Moore, age 17. What? 17, dating at 29? Okay. Were found dead in Griffin's 1941 Oldsmobile sedan on Sunday, March 24th, 1946, between 8.30 and 9 a.m. That's 12 years of difference, by the way. Uh, yeah. That's, <sighs> that's a lot for a 17-year-old. That's gross. <sighs> but they were found by a passing motorist. The motorist saw the parked car on Lover's Lane named Rich Road, now Southern or now South Robinson, near a railroad spur 100 yards south of the U.S. Highway 67 West, close to a nightclub or night spot called Club Dallas. The motorist at first thought that the both were asleep. Griffin was found between the front seats on his knees with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets were turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down in the back seat. Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car and both had been shot once in the back of the head and were fully clothed. A blood-soaked patch of earth near the car suggested that police the both had been out killed outside of the car and placed back inside. Congealed blood was found covering the running board and had flowed through the bottom of the car door. A 32 cartridge shell was also found, possibly shot from a Colt inside the blanket. <clears throat> no extent reports indicate that either Griffin or Moore were examined by a pathologist. Contem contemporaneous local rumor had it that a sexual assault ha has also occurred, but modern reports refute this claim. In response to the murderers, police launched a citywide investigation along the Texas and Arkansas Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public Safety, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Department, and the FBI. On March 27th, local police had interviewed about 50 to 60 witnesses, including patrons and employees of Club Dallas, a local bar near the crime scene. On uh, By March 30th, excuse me, police had posted a $500 reward in an effort to gain any new information on the Griffin and Moore case. That would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. However, the rewards yielded no fruitful clues or suspects, instead producing over 100 false leads. So this is the second double murder, which would be the very last murders. On April 13th of 1946, the double murder. On the evening of Saturday, April 13th, Betty Jo Booker, age 15, was playing her alto saxophone in her regular weekly gig with her band, the Rhythmaries. At the VFW club at W Fourth and or on West Fourth and Oak Street, around 1 a.m. I don't know why I can't read right now. Sunday morning, April 14th, her friend Paul Martin, age 16, arrived to pick her up from the performance. This is the last time the pair were seen alive. Martin's body was found around 6:30 uh, a.m. the morning by Mr. and Mrs. G. H. Weaver and their son, lying on itself by this, on its left side, by the northern edge of the North Park Road. 
Blood was found further down on the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times, once through the nose, again through the left fourth rib from behind, a third time in the right hand, and finally through the back of the neck. Booker's body was not found until approximately 11.30 a.m., almost two miles, 3.2 kilometers away, from Martin's body behind a tree. She was found by members of the Boyd family, along with their friend Ted Sh- How do you say that last name? Shopey. Shopey, who had joined the search party. Her body was lying on its back, fully clothed, with the right hand in the pocket of a buttoned-over coat. Booker had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon uses the same as the first double murder, a thirty-two automatic Colt pistol. Martin's three, Martin's 1946 Ford Club Coupe was found about three miles, 4.8 kilometers away from Booker's it's body. It's kilometers? Leave me alone. Kilo- kilometers is something completely different yeah, that has to do is. with, like... <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you said that the first time, and I was like, I'll just let it go, but it keeps coming up, so it's kilometers. Kilometers. <laughs> I'm just going to fucking stop saying it. Um, it was parked outside Spring Lake Park with the key still in it. The authorities were not sure who was shot first. Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez said that the examinations of the bodies indicated that they both had put up a terrific struggle. Martin's friend Tom Albritton said he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin's that Martin hadn't had any enemies. Law enforcement was unable to locate Booker's saxophone at the crime scene. The saxophone was eventually discovered around six months later on October 24th, still in its black lim- imitation leather case, an underbrush near where Booker's body had been found. Why did it take six months to just look in the brush around the body to find a saxophone? Am I the only one that's like maybe in? it was dumped there? Like it wasn't there when when the policemen were first there, and then when they came back to search again, it was there. Maybe because I mean, who doesn't see a saxophone on the side of the road and road take and take it. it? I mean, me, I don't take instruments off the side of the road. But, but yeah, well, neither do I. But you know, somebody would. Somebody would, yeah. So a reward fund exceeding 1700 was secured for information leading to the persons responsible for the Griffin Moore and Martin Booker murders. Rumors circulated throughout the area, and w- with one rumor suggesting a local minister had turned in his own son as a suspect in the Martin Booker murders. Mm-hmm. On April 18th... Wow, that's... <laughs> okay. What? Just <laughs> turned in his own son. Damn. I wonder if it's like, you didn't clean your room, you must have committed the murders. Like, I wonder how that well, would have gone like, down. if that person isn't the murderer, they now know what you think of them. <laughs> For real. <clears throat> and it's also one of those things that, how do you just come across, mm-hmm. like, thinking your child murdered somebody? Like, maybe they're a real weird child. There are other people out there that do that. On April 18th, police captain Gonzalez issued a statement to the public during a press conference assuring the public that the murderer had not been caught. In the rumor circulating among the public and in the newspapers were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. <sighs> These are the final crimes, but they are not murders. So, on May 3rd of 1946, before 9pm, Virgil Starks, age 37, a farmer and welder, was in his modest yet modern ranch-style house on his 500-acre farm off Highway 67 East, almost 10 miles northwest of Texarkana. He turned on his favorite weekly radio show and his wife, Katie, age 36, gave him a heating pad for a sore back. He sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which is just off the kitchen and the bedroom. While Katie was in her bedroom lying on the bed in her nightgown, she heard something from the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. 
Seconds later, while Virgil was reading the May 3rd edition of the Texarkana Gazette, uh, two shots were fired into the back of his head from a double, a closed double window three feet away. Katie did not hear the gunshots. Instead, she heard what sounded like the breaking of glass. She thought Virgil dropped something and went to see what happened. As she entered the doorway to the living room, she saw Virgil standing up and then suddenly slumped back into his chair. She saw blood and then ran to him, lifted his up his head. When she realized he was dead, she ran to the phone to call the police. Okay, one of these people died. She ran the... She rang the wall crank phone two times before being shot twice in the face from the same window. Okay, they both die. Don't tell me that then. One bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left ear. The other went in her lower jaw just below the lip, breaking it and splintering out several teeth before lodging under her tongue. She dropped her knees but soon managed to get on her feet. She ran to get a pistol from the living room, but she was blinded by her own blood. She heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen wire on the back porch. She thought he she was going to be killed, so she stumbled towards her bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. Meanwhile, the killer ran into the back of the house and made his way up the steps and into the side screen porch through the back screen door. <clears throat> she heard the killer coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around and ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, down a hallway, through another bedroom, and then into the living room and out the front door, leaving behind a virtual blood of river of blood and teeth throughout the house and across the street. Barefooted and still in her blood-soaked nightgown, she ran across the street to her sister and brother-in-law's house. Because no one is home, she ran 50 yards more to, uh, to A.V. Prater's house. Prater answered her call for help. She gasped, Virgil's dead, then collapsed. Prater shot a rifle into the air to summon another neighbor, Elmer Taylor. Prater called to Taylor to bring his car because Miss and Mr. Starks had been shot. Taylor, along with Mr. and Mrs. Prater and the baby, rode with Miss Starks to Michael Meager Hospital, now Miller County Health Unit, at 503 Walnut Street. Miss Starks gave Mr. Taylor, the driver, one of her teeth with a gold filling. She was in a semi-conscious state, slumping forward on the front seat. Although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed no signs of going into shock, and her heart rate remained normal. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Damn. First of all, she's trying to pay them with a gold tooth. Like, <laughs> thank you. Here's my tooth. <laughs> I know it's blood-stained, but here you go. How does that heart rate stay normal know, and not right? go into shock from being shot, shattering your jaw, your teeth, your husband's dead? Some people take that differently. She was probably in a state of shock on her own where she didn't feel the pain. That's crazy. So she she probably thought that she wasn't Too bad. in as much danger of dying as she was. Like, from her injuries. Yeah. She clearly thought she might die, but... Yeah. <sighs> Miller County Sheriff W.E. Davis, who came he became... <clears throat> became head of the investigation, questioned Miss Starks in the operating room at Michael Meager Hospital. The news was printed on the front page the next morning on Saturday, May 4th, reading, Murder Rock City Again, Farmer Slain, Wife Wounded. Four days later, Sheriff Davis talked through... Talked with Mr. Starks... Again at the hospital, Miss Starks discounted a rumor that was circulating about Virgil hearing a car outside his home several nights in a row, fear of being killed. <clears throat> but they never found him. They never found the peoples. It took a long time, but they still haven't found him. They never found his flashlight. They didn't find pillowcases. Kind of crazy. That's the end? Yes. Hmm. That last one, it just, like, to survive being shot in the head twice, twice 
And having a bullet beneath your tongue is a little weird. Well, and it's one of those that she knows part of the extent of her injuries because she gave her neighbor a tooth. Yeah. As well as she left a river of blood and teeth just and scattered she around went, the neighborhood. And she went to go write a note because mm-hmm. she thought she was going to die. Oh, yeah. But then realized that she wasn't going to have time, so she booked it to oh, yeah. try and go, like, and that's just, inform somebody about what was going on. It's amazing that it missed her brain and then it missed her spine. Yeah. That's crazy. And that she didn't bleed out. She was probably pretty close. Oh, yeah. Well, she was shot, like, here and then, like, kind of, like, here. Which you didn't see that audience, but you saw that. I did. But I love that you choose to do that since I also heard you say it. Yeah, <laughs> so no, I know I where it's at. I tried. <laughs> okay, so I have the mainline murders. And it's kind of a crazy story. So Susan Reiner was an English teacher at Upper Marion High School in Philadelphia. She had two children, Karen and Michael, and was recently divorced but left on relatively good terms. Whoa. <laughs> Alarm. That <was> terrifying. <laughs> you guys don't realize that is, the, like, that is the sound. That through my blood when that happens. That is the sound my alarm makes to wake me up in the morning. Same. And I was like, it's not time to go to school yet. No, <laughs> please. That happened, and I for sure thought this was all a dream, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> oh. So overall, she had two loving children, a wonderful career, and a supportive group of friends. In 1978, Susan began dating a fellow teacher, William Bradfield, He was said to be charming, eloquent, and well-educated. While he was in another relationship, he assured Susan that he wanted to end it and start a relationship with her. I've also read some sources that say that Bradfield was uh, married and was talking of divorce to be with Susan. Damn. So later in June of 1979, Susan planned a short trip with her two kids to Allentown. She spoke with an organization called Parents Without Partners while she was there on June 23. 23? 23rd. <laughs> June of 23. I literally, I just read the number, so I like, I was like, this, in, is, a, this is a date. It's the 23rd. Uh, by Monday morning, Susan Reiner was found dumped in the hatchback of her car, which was abandoned in a hotel parking lot in Harrisburg. Her children were missing. Damn. Where it all went wrong was the relationship between Susan and Bradfield. Susan didn't mind keeping their relationship quiet, but Bradfield would tell fellow teachers and friends that he and Susan were just colleagues, and he was not the least bit romantically interested in her. That's crazy. Imagine being the other person, and, like, he's he may or may not be leaving his wife for you, and then he's just telling people, like, nah, man, not even, would never... Like, that, that's that got to make you feel like shit. <laughs> she must not have known, because over time, Susan was so in love with Bradfield and so certain of their happily ever after that she changed the beneficiary of her insurance from her brother and two children to Bradfield. <laughs> so a beneficiary is a person who gets all the money from a person's insurance when they die. First of all... You're a shitty-ass mom. <laughs> I know. Like, well, not even she, your kids. She probably thought that she was going to marry him, and therefore he would be taking care of her kids if something were to happen to her. Or she also presumed that, hey, she wouldn't be dying anytime soon, and her children would be adults with their own lives. I still, like, that. you're a piece of shit, Susan. A piece of shit. Well, she's also dead. Be kind. 
She made While him. You were alive. You sucked. Shit. She made him the sole beneficiary and even added to her insurance so he would inherit seven hundred thirty thousand dollars when she died. No, nope, fuck you. In the insurance policy, she named Bradfield policy. Policy. <laughs> well, I said policy because she was the next word. Policy. <laughs> she named Bradfield her intended husband. Oh my lord! Imagine like this person has are like imagine this person has talked to Bradfield and he's like. No, we're not. And she's like, you're my intended husband. Anyways. Jesus Christ. Even after years of investigating the murder and disappearances, there wasn't enough evidence to convict Bradfield with murder, so instead he was charged with $25,000 theft. So the theft came from allegations that Bread... Breadfield? Breadfield. <laughs> he I is now bread. a field of bread. <laughs> I, you saw it said... You saw that? <laughs> you, you saw that. that. You said that. All I just imagined was a field of just like little slices of bread. Little loaves. Little loaves. Little <laughs> loaves. Ah, uh, bread loaf. <laughs> bread loaf field. So the theft came from allegations that Bradfield convinced Susan to withdraw $25,000 and invest with him in a bogus scam. So whilst in jail, just 72 hours before his trial was to begin, he filed for his... Uh, from his jail cell to collect Susan's life insurance money. Damn. So he got that seven thirty hundred thousand. So he knew <laughs> that she had put him on his her life insurance. Yes, he knew. Second off, he's still fucking going around saying to everybody, "Nah, man, never. Yes, like, would never, never gonna." He's mm. a. Pe- they're. Mm, I don't know who's a big piece of shit right now. Both of them. I don't know who to decide yet. Also connected and arrested for the theft was Wendy Ziegler, another girlfriend of Bradfield. She Damn. supposedly hid the money in a safety deposit box and later withdrew the money the same day Susan and her kids went missing. That's fucking crazy that first off, he's got this one woman, like, under his thumb. Like, definitely thinking See, of marriage. See, that's, that's why I'm not, like, I don't think she's a horrible person was because she really fell in love and believed that he I mean, would... She must yeah, not have I known see. that he didn't want anything to do with her romantically. Still, I feel like you should leave your kids some, you know, money in case. But <laughs> there's that. Also, like, how many girlfriends? So he supposedly had a wife that he was going to divorce for Susan. I've, I've only girlfriends. I've only seen that in a couple of other sources. That's why I said supposedly. Yeah. So, so he this may have been the other girlfriend, or it could have been he had a wife, and this is another girlfriend along with Susan. So I'm not sure. So body count right now of just girls is like two or three. So Ziegler was also one of the many witnesses who testified against Bradfield and helped send him to prison on August 3rd, 1981. He was sentenced to up to two years. So because police couldn't fully prove that Bat that uh, Badfield that Badfield Bradfield and Bradfield was the murderer, so close. <laughs> and became like, you just mix those. You get Bradfield, Badfield and Bradfield is Badfield. Uh, <laughs> Bradfield was the murderer. I read that the second time, and I was like, wait, did I say that right? <laughs> and because the kids were still missing, police kept searching. They came across Principal Jay Smith, who had been in trouble with both colleagues and the law before Susan's murder. Smith was nicknamed the Prince of Darkness. Oh? Part of me wonders, okay, first of No, like, colleagues at school called him that. The Prince, he was a principal, and he was the Prince of Darkness. First off, 
Why? Why would you name someone the Prince of Darkness? It gets better. Second off, my question as soon as you said that was, is he black and is that why? No. Okay. I just didn't know if they were, like, being racist or if, like, I don't know why would you call someone the Prince of Darkness. I could just see someone calling, like, you suck the soul out of my life, but other than that, I really don't. His unusual personality was usually the topic of conversation at the school. After the murder of Susan, rumors ran wild with tales of teachers involved in sex parties and devil worship and allegations what? that Smith <laughs> burned bodies in the school incinerator okay, and Barry chopped up body parts on school grounds. First off, why does your school have an incinerator? <laughs> Second off, how, why? Where are these dig sites, these graves? So there was a a pool was being built at the time, and so people thought he buried people like bodies under, under the pool, pool and then oh, it was okay. cemented in so okay, that it would never like, be found yeah shit. also why is it suddenly like one person dies and everybody's like sex, sex parties, parties devil worship devil worship like, no so apparently there were me. there were rumors about that beforehand but it like ran wild <laughs> after this i could never imagine teachers from this our is school, a fucking school and the principal is called the prince of, of darkness, darkness and he's having sex parties I, and chopping up people like i don't understand because i could never think of going to school <laughs> school and somebody going yeah did you know the prince of darkness and how you know all of our teachers have like these wild sex raves and like they do devil worship and i'm like first off they get mad if i'm on my cell phone (laughs) or me chewing gum like i don't see this where is this at they they gotta let loose somehow amber (laughs) let me chew my gum and then we'll talk (laughs) so before susan's murder smith had been arrested on august 19th 1978 at the gateway shopping center in chester county Found in his Ford Granada were several loaded handguns, a hooded mask, a syringe filled with a tranquilizing drug, and another and other robbing tools. Smith said the guns were for scaring off harassers and the drugs must have belonged to his addicted son-in-law. <laughs> when his home was searched, police found more drugs and guns, security guard uniforms and badges, and a lot of pornography having to do mostly with bestiality. And he's still a also. Four gallons of nitric acid. I thought you were going to say nut juice, and I was like, excuse me, why do you just have gallons of cum? I don't understand. No, nitric acid. So this was all allegedly stolen from Upper Marion Area High School, where he worked. He stole nitric acid from the school. I I see. How is he still a principal after this? Like, I have nitric acid, I do drugs, I do hardcore drugs. I definitely burn bodies, and I'm called the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> More. Like, <laughs> I want this profile on a t-shirt, because I just want the Prince of Darkness, and then just everything underneath. Still a principal at the very bottom. <laughs> <laughs> More investigating linked Smith to armed robberies at two Sears stores. On both cases, the robber had been dressed in a bank security guard uniform and pretended he was there to pick up the day's receipts. So among the defense witnesses at Smith's trial in 1977 was Bradfield, who offered him an alibi. Jurors didn't buy it and found Smith guilty. Almost four years after Susan's death, Bradfield was arrested and charged with three murders on April 6, 1983. During the trial were details in which Bradfield held conversations with friends where he expressed concern for Susan that Smith might kill her. He never shared the concern with Susan or a police official. If I was concerned someone was going to kill someone that I may be romantically interested in, or my cash cow, like, (laughs) why would I go? First of all, why are you just telling people that, you know, your side piece or just the girl that you say you don't care about or, like, aren't going to see? Why are you just telling people, yeah, I think this person might murder them? Like, why is that the tough topic of discussion? (laughs) 
Like, you don't care. <laughs> so, although Smith wasn't on trial at the time and wouldn't be arrested for another two years, there was evidence leak- linking leaking Susan and Smith, including hair from Susan matching one taken from Smith's house, as well as a comb found in Susan's car under her body that belonged to Smith's Air Force unit. But they later found out that it was also, uh, the combs were given away for this, like, uh, banquet thing. So they were, like, mass given. But still, how many people did she know that had Air Force unit combs? What? Okay, so he was in the Air Force, then became the Dark Prince of being a principal at this high school. Then <laughs> he has a career, man. This is a wild, like, <laughs> wild life story. Yeah. Because, first off, I like that that's the one thing that links you, is the fact that there is a comb from, from your Air Force days, like, back in, like, 1922. Like, what are you doing? Why is this... <sighs> However, there was little physical evidence connecting Bradfield to the actual murder, so they tried to connect him to Smith and suggest the two were involved in a conspiracy to kill Susan, and that her children were just, like, there. Mm -hmm. On October 28th, 1983, Bradfield was found guilty and given three life sentences. He died in January 1998 of a heart attack at the age of 64. He never admitted to anything. Damn. So, I've also heard that... One of them had a picture of, and I think it was Bradfield, had a picture of where something was buried, which could have been the kids. Damn, so the kids were never found. The kids were never found. And the murderer, so there was so little evidence, even though he was arrested, Smith was also arrested for this, but nobody knows who actually did it. So they just arrested two people and assumed one of them did it or they both did it? Well, they could arrest Smith anyways, because he did a lot of other weird shit, they, he... questionable stuff. But Bradfield, they had no idea if he really did it or not. But like, they can't link Smith exactly, but they can't also link... But they can link Bradfield to having done something with Smith. So they arrested him. Uh, so Smith goes on and off death row. So one witness in his trial was a police officer in jail that stated Smith confessed to the murders. At the age of 58, Smith was found guilty and sentenced to death. While he awaited execution, he filed an appeal, citing, among other things, prosecution, uh, prosecutorial misconduct. In 1989, the Supreme Court ruled Smith was entitled to a new trial, thereby taking him off death row. His new ruling set him free, and in September of 1992, Smith was released from prison. Uh, still proclaiming innocence, he died May 2009 at the age of 80 of a heart condition. So they both died saying they didn't do it. Damn. That's crazy. That's really crazy. Yeah, it was... It, it was an interesting one. I really enjoyed learning. Well, I mean, like, you know... Of course. That's, yeah. that's a, that principle is a wild <laughs> ride in his own right. So, I'll admit, so I found this off of My Favorite Murder, I Love Them, and uh, I was actually, so I was on the, uh, I was on a plane headed to Seattle when I heard about this, and it took so much effort not to laugh like a maniac (laughs) in a very quiet plane listening to them talk about this, especially the Principle of Darkness. (laughs) The The Prince Prince of of Darkness. Darkness. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was a, it was a good one, that one. Oh, Prince of Darkness. 
so yeah, it was a, a very interesting murder. And it's what baffles me is that they they were both arrested. The children were never found, and nobody really knows what if happened? they did it. Well, did they ever? Which I'm assuming this is a no. But did they ever go and dig up that picture, like where that picture was? They never found it. So they saw the picture, never found the place. Oh, so there was no like. It was like if markers. I re- if I remember right, it was a place in like the middle of the- no. There was a marker. It wasn't like a marker for a grave, but it I forget what it was. Well, it I was say like a marker, like something that you could you would you would look be able for. to identify it. But it was in the middle of a wood like a wooded area somewhere. They never found it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like there was literally like it wasn't like here's it was a, a road place sign. that if you found it, you could you would know what it was. But they they never found it, and they never found the kids. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. I just... Still, I know I've said it, but I just... I love that they don't really know if either of those two did it. Because they they remained... They both died of heart conditions. Yeah, and they, they both stated that they were innocent the entire time. Well, while I is, really doubt they were. Well, the thing is, is I... Part of me believes that the principal was innocent only because he had such a crazy-ass background <laughs> that it almost seems like murder is not what he would do. Oh, well. well. I feel like that murder was not yeah. what he did. I feel like Bradfield or Bradfield or Badfield is, uh... <laughs> Bradfield, Bradfield, or Badfield. Badfield. <laughs> uh, definitely did it. I feel like the principal was kind of just, like, a long shot because he has also done some really weird shit. So, I have kind of a small one, too, that isn't enough to be in an episode on its own. Do you care if I share? Okay. Okay. It's called The Beast of Manchester. I still feel like... I I know I did The Beast a long time ago. Yeah, I remember because it was a Russian guy, and you kept, oh. for a while I had, like, a Russian streak of, like, I can't pronounce these fucking names. Yeah, and I can remember, because yeah. he was... And I was like, why do you keep choosing these people? But they were really interesting, I'm sorry. So, Leslie Janet Stewart, who is 15, was stabbed to death on New Year's Eve, 1974, and buried in a shallow grave in Newton Heath, North Manchester. So, uh, Wanda Scala, 17, was murdered on July 19th, 1975 on Lightbound Road while walking home from the hotel where she worked as a barmaid. She had been hit over the head with a with a brick, uh, robbed and sexually assaulted. Her body was yeah. found partially buried on a building site. In March 1976, after walking home from a staff party, Sharon Mosef was stabbed and strangled with a pair of tights prior to being dumped in the Rockdale Canal at Failsworth. The bodies of Scala and Mosef were found stripped and mutilated. At the height of investigation, 23,000 people were stopped and searched. But Trevor Hardy was arrested for Scala's murder after bragging about it to his younger brother. Because that's a thing. He was freed on the basis of an alibi he had arranged with his partner, Shayla Farrow. <clears throat> and because he had filed his teeth with a contraband file delivered by his partner so they would not match the bite marks found on the bodies. Damn. That's really smart, though, to, like, change stuff that would, like, definitely give you away. Because I know there was this one case that, once again, I watched a lot of Criminal Mind in my days, where they burned off all their fingerprints. Yeah. And, like, some people, like, would file their teeth or would, like, shave their head. There's only so many times you can file your teeth, though. Shit, you can just 
remove your teeth. And but then you can't dentures. bite if that's get your dentures. thing. Yeah, but your dentures have marks and they have serial numbers and things that are traced back to you. Let me just keep getting new dentures because I keep filing them down. <laughs> uh, so he basically confessed to the murder but was let go because of an alibi and he would go on to kill Mosif six months after being freed. Oh my god. Hardy was arrested for the murders of Scala and Mosif in August 1976. He confessed to the murders and to that of Stewart, who until then had been a missing person. Prior to Stewart, Stewart's murder, Hardy had been released on parole after battering a man with a pickaxe. <laughs> because, of course, let this person go again. He reportedly mistook Stewart for a schoolgirl with whom he was infatuated. He removed Stewart's ring and gave it to another girl as a love token. He also kept Scala's bloodstained clothes and her handbag as grisly trophies. The investigation revealed that Hardy killed Mosif after she witnessed him attempting to burgle, to burgle a shopping center at night. On May 2nd, 1978, at the Manchester Crown Court, Hardy was sentenced to three life sentences with a minimum of 30 years. <laughs> How does three life sentences turn into a minimum of yeah. 30 years? Is it like 10 for each year? 10 life sentences? Or... Damn. Yeah, he served his sentence at Wakefield Prison in West Yorkshire, where he was reported to have a good work record. He maintained his innocence and reportedly sent a letter to most of his relatives blaming his parents. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Stop> my parents. <laughs> On September 23rd, 2012, Hardy collapsed in his cell after suffering a heart attack. He died in the hospital two days later at the age of 67. He spent 35 years in prison. Damn. I also realized I misspelled something. Mostly because I just called him hard instead of hardy. <laughs> he is only hard, not the hardy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, okay. That was that was life today. Right, we're gonna try to get a decent upload schedule. Yeah, well I'm trying. I'm I still We're, get, it we're this doing week. well. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're So there. remember we are gonna upload Wednesdays or Thursdays of every week. Uh, you can sponsor us on our anchor page. If you go to anchor.fm and search Justifiable, uh, we also just enjoy having you guys here with us listening. Uh, and again, I am working in this book to fill it out so you guys can have it. It will have things like pictures, newspaper clippings, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> There's that. Um, we do love when you guys interact, though you guys haven't. I love talking to people and learning new things. And if you guys have things you want us to do... Um, let us know. We yeah, Amber have... has a hard time finding murderers. You need to help her. Yeah, I don't know why I have such a hard time, but I do. Miranda has no issues. <laughs> uh, I don't know how, but you have no issues. Um, so there's that. Also, sorry that we're kind of slacking on Altered Carbon and a few other things. That's just not been one of our main priorities, as usually we get together for an hour or two, and then we leave, which is sometimes that's just to do a movie edition or it's it's just uh we're in a busy time of the year for us so there's a lot going on there's we have very little time to really record stuff so we're just trying to get uh as much as possible and to start with this is just a murder story podcast it's not really or wasn't originally movies so we're trying to keep the main thing going for right now really what this is mostly gonna be is movies and murder but um we will do just random editions of small shows just to kind of introduce you to them i don't think we're gonna do full series of 
really anything besides movies and murders. Unless you would like us to, then you can Those email be, us and yes. we'll we'll talk about it and consider. We'll talk about it. We'll at least... Or if you just have a show you want to show off that's not something a lot of other people watch, there's that too. Also, I have a friend, and I know she's really going to enjoy this, but shout out to Grace. Grace! <laughs> we love you. Um, you're crazy with you and your little shark drawings. We love you. Um, by the way, Grace, I am so close to catching up on the oh worst my God. campaign. No! Critical Role campaign too. She's Bitch. really far behind. She told me about this recently. You say I'm really far behind, but I only got six episodes no, to no, catch no, up. No, no, not you, Grace. Oh, Grace? Ha-ha. Grace is really far behind. Grace, catch up. Get on like my she's level. she's behind me. <laughs> Get on my level, Grace. Just kidding. We love you. Shout out, Grace. Shout out. Um, back to what I was saying. If you <laughs> Sorry, I had to. You're fine. Um, anyways, when it comes to stuff like that, or just like, if you have like little shops, or Etsy shops, or art shops, or you do like scary effects makeup and you just kind of want a shout out once again you can sponsor us and we will give you a shout out we'll actually check out your stuff um yeah just interact we love it i would love it um just let us know what you want yeah and even though we're busy we always we will always make time to read emails and to talk with you guys and do shout outs Uh, Again, if you don't want emails to be read read on the podcast, please let us know. We totally respect that. Like, that's fine. Oh, yeah. You just need to let us know so that we don't, like, read it. And then you're like, what the fuck, guys? I trusted you. Right. As well as I will know it won't be one of those where I haven't checked the email in forever and now it's just been sitting there for a month. It's it's got a message to her phone. Automatically, It'll show up when you email me. Um, Also, just later in the year is when we're going to start getting you know able to record more which is like the summer and well i mean i say that but in may at the end of is this may no no (laughs) this is april march january february march no may at the end of may i always get may and march confused i will be on a trip so i'll try maybe we can try and do a couple of them and i'll try and keep up while i'm gone but i will be gone during a time in May. may it'll be a little harder recording wise but once it hits like actual summer and then fall and winter, yeah, we'll be all up that. on it, dudes. We we kind of promise. <laughs> we, we I make promise no promises, we but promise we try. We promise it'll keep going. We promise that we'll it's try. It's not just gonna stop. Yeah, no, no, no. We that's, enjoy this too much for that. that. So we love you guys so much, and we thank you for watching. And sorry if the anchor looks different. They updated it, and it's just a little funky right now. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much. We love you. Bye. Bye.